album for the apocalypse. Album for the apocalypse. One, two, buckle my shoe. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Albums for the Apocalypse podcast, the doomsday preppers of music podcasts. As always, I'm joined by my omniscient co-host, Jack. Hello, omniscient, interesting. Oh, I was just thinking of a big word to describe you, but I don't know whether that's the right one. Omnipresent, uh, maybe. Maybe omnipresent. Omnibelevant, maybe. I don't know about that. Yeah, Wait, Bastille. We're... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um... So yeah, on this week's episode, uh, we are talking about guilty pleasures. Uh, we've got a, quite a big mix. We've got uh, one of the most influential metal albums ever, one of the biggest selling Canadian albums ever, and uh, our guest pick, which isn't really a guilty pleasure, we're not sure on that one, uh, in Mahalia. Uh, mm. h- how's your week been, Jack? It's been good. Yeah, very busy. Um, it's been quite fun to see all the BBC stuff for Glastow, watched quite a few sets lately um, for the 50th anniversary, so that's been fun. Watched the, uh, what did I watch? Well, I've seen, watched Bonnie Bear, Foo Fighters, one from 2017, that's sick. Um, that was post him breaking his leg, wasn't it? That was the after yeah. he cancelled. Yeah. yeah, so that was pretty sick. Um, what else? Oh, the Arctic Monkeys, obviously, I watched that from 2013, that's pretty sick. Um, but yeah, what about yourself? Uh, not too much. I did a, I've been sort of did a bit of that. I've been sort of listening to some uh, new albums and stuff coming out. There's a lot of bands are starting to like push forward on like their album release schedules if they halted them for because obviously now lockdown's looking like it might ease. They're gonna and like record stores and stuff are opening. A lot of album release cycles are restarting after being postponed. So that's quite interesting seeing a lot of stuff like that. Um, been seeing. Have you seen all the driving concerts that are being put up? Yeah. Yeah, it does make me think, like, in terms of, obviously, a major thing with albums is touring. Um, it's, it's where they so make their money hard. nowadays. It's so cool. hard, yeah, to, like, think about when that will happen again as, like, a concept. Like, yeah. A tour. I, was, I was thinking, like, this driving concert thing. I was like, well, one, so, first of all, someone has to be a designated driver. Yeah. And then I was like, well, what if someone doesn't want to be a designated driver? Do you just pay for an Uber and just offer to buy him a ticket to the concert? And also, just... like, put that in perspective. If you're like a big-ish artist and you're used to playing to maybe 10,000 plus, how the hell you, you can't do that in cars? I'm not so, at all. Unless you're bumping up your ticket price, but ticket prices for people that play to that size are already kind of expensive. They're like 40 to 50 quid. I am not paying individually, like, 80 quid to go into in my car with four friends or whatever yeah. to see a gig. And just stand so, in a parking space. Well, it's, yeah. Mil- it's Milton Keynes Bowl, so I'm trying to yeah. think the capacity. I don't know what the, they haven't said anything about the capacity, like number wise, but it's per car, isn't it? Obviously not per person. Yeah. yeah. It's an interesting one. Um, I, don't, I don't think it will work that well because you won't really get the atmosphere as much as you would No. for a proper show. I think. I think it may have to be one of those ones that goes on the list for uh, once there's a vaccine. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, and I think, I mean, I think there are some artists which can benefit from being in like social distance seating arrangements. So something like, I mean, I think albums we've done like Bonavere you mentioned and stuff like oh, that. Yeah, like yeah, you don't yeah. need to stand up and like be close and intimate with other people. So if you like a seat away at Word Work, but then like this week, Nickelback, you don't really want to be sitting 
separate from someone and stuff like that. On it. No, yeah, yeah, you're spot on there. I think to be fair, like, um, hopefully, one positive is it will make for some really uh, special gigs and festivals when it is possible again. Um, you just kind of have to hope that, that sooner rather than later. Yeah. Um, it's He's very not... strange, though. It's yeah. such a strange concept because when I think back, like, I went to a gig, I went to Bombay Bicycle Club at um, Ali Pali, which is obviously what, like, quite a big venue. I went, odd, yeah. yeah, I went to that ooh, end of Feb, I think. And, like, now that as a concept is pretty crazy, like, to think that kind of massive group of people. I don't know. It's just weird, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's bonkers when you think about, like, you would be in a room. Well, this is the thing with, like, festivals and the reason they you just knew they were never going to go ahead as soon as this whole thing started because it's... And even why there's a risk of it next year as well because it yeah. is something like, let's just say, taking out a festival capacity of 50,000 people. The fact that everyone's so closely together, all you need is, like, five, six people to be spreading it. And then, like, yeah. that's 50... That's, it's not, like, a normal spread of... I mean, this is obviously going to be a bit more coronavirus thing, but it's the, that's why it's so. No one's sure when everything's going to reopen and stuff like that for festivals. And it's like it is it, the thing with the festival is it's not just like a one set of like maybe three hours. That's like a whole day, if not a weekend. Yeah, some festivals go so four days, five period, days. Yeah, in that period, that you know the situation obviously with the virus that can spread so quickly. Um. So. Oh, so frustrating. But yeah, and watching, watching all these Glastonbury sets and stuff does make you miss it a lot. Yeah. I hadn't really felt it too much till literally probably the last couple of days. And I was watching that again. And I was like, shit, I really want to go to a gig. But I like what bands are doing with putting on these live stream shows. But I just, there's something about even shows without fans. A bit like the football not. scenario. It's like, it's just not quite the same. And you can't really replicate fans by putting crowd noise in stuff on, on a live yeah. stream set. Yeah. Uh, I mean, let's just hope that maybe, like I say, things will get better as a result. We'll have like big, big, bigger festivals and bigger kind of gigs to celebrate when this is finally kind of yeah. a thing of the past. Hopefully, hopefully. next, hopefully next summer is one hell of a party with festivals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, make the best of it till then, anyway. But um, I don't know it's very interesting to see. Like, I guess something else that's interesting is we'll have probably a lot of albums released in a massive block yeah. like to have so many albums come in that kind of depending on whatever happens it's looking like september onwards like so yeah. september to the end of the year is, is well, the root the suggestion is that's when most people have planned on their new releases so it means there's good so even bands that have had planned to release then before this are now thinking do we still want to release when everyone else is releasing and stuff like that so it's yeah it's interesting I guess we'll see what happens. Um, should we uh, should we start discussing the theme this week? Guilty pleasures. Yeah, let's let's yeah let's discuss guilty pleasure, which is quite an interesting one in terms of where we were going with it from the start because we were unsure ourselves on whether we we're going to go fun and just go stupid yeah, albums no, or whether we we're going like to go a serious. Of a true true guilty pleasure, mine is the only real one. Nickelback, yours is uh, yours is a. One a famous guilty pleasure like we were saying that and i think it's kind of true from our suggestions a bit as well like we don't actually have in nowadays in society it's not a guilty pleasure isn't in terms of music isn't it such a huge thing when it comes to like a bad band so people are just quite happy to listen to what they want to listen to yeah Um, and i think what with my pick the reason i kind of chose it was because i wanted that 
that different opinion on guilty pleasure we'll get into it but it's like is it morally questionable to like this band rather than is it just are they good or are they not sort of thing yeah and Mahalia um yeah I'm not quite sure there there might be a one week suspension coming in for Sarah for that suggestion yeah I mean I'm very happy I really I will talk about it later I'm glad I got to listen to it but um yeah not sure quite how it fit on the theme but we'll see um but yeah yeah, uh, so I'll quickly, shall we quickly run through the albums in case people haven't quite clocked on what we're doing just yet? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think we've been very vague. So our, um, first up, we're going to have my suggestion, which is Pantera with Vulgar Display of Power. Uh, Jack, what did you pick? Oh, I went for All the Right Reasons by Nickelback. Stormer. And then as, as you guessed, our guest pick or listener pick this week was Mahalia with Love and Compromise which was from Sarah Gregory uh, we'll, like we said we'll get onto that one a bit uh, later on in terms of is it a guilty pleasure or not um, yeah interesting one like, so we've got slightly different styles of guilty pleasures and whatnot. so it'll be interesting to discuss it yeah should we, uh, should we get think, started on Pantera I think we should crack on So, up first, uh, we have Pantera with a vulgar display of power. Uh, before we dive into the album, I think we're going to start off by sort of, I'm going to give you a bit of background to Pantera, and then the reason why I picked this as well is not necessarily because of the album, but more because of the band themselves. In fact, more so one person in the band. Uh, so Pantera are a heavy metal band from Texas. Uh, they're probably one of the most influential metal bands arguably ever. You know, if you were to do a list of top 10 metal bands ever, they'd be in it. I'd probably put them in top five. I'd probably go something like Metallica, Sabbath, Slipknot, Pantera, if you're looking at a sort of ranking system. So they're, they're one of these bands that if you go to a metal festival, a rock festival, anything like that, and you just ask Pantera, people are going to know it. People are going to know a couple of their songs, even if it's, they don't fully into the band sort of thing. Uh, arguably, they're, they're most um, prominent during the 90s. They were actually formed in the 80s, but their run of albums there were four albums came through the 90s uh they are no longer a band however um after they went on like a hiatus and their guitarist and founding member dimebag daryl was shot on stage in 2004 uh very tragic incident um if you i'm not going to go too much into the details of it but it's another case of gun laws in the u.s that one um and any potential reunions with a replacement guitarist aren't going to happen after the death of their drummer uh, Vinnie Paul in 2018. Now, the reason I've picked Pantera, and I know you're thinking, well, you've just, just told them, said they're the most influential band, you've said they're the biggest, and all this. So, why have you picked them? Well, first off, they had a constant link and relationship with the Confederate flag to the point where it was a key part of their image and aesthetic. Uh, they'd often use it as a backdrop on their shows. Up until 2016, they were selling t shirts with it on. Um, their guitarist, Dimebag, often played a uh, I think it was a V guitar, flying V guitar with the Confederate flag on it. Um, and, you know, that's sort of obviously nowadays we, we realize the um, connotations and the, the racism that that flag is linked to. Uh, however, back then, they, a couple of those members, a few of those members, so Rex Brown, the bassist to come out, Vinnie Paul did when he was alive, came out and apologized and admitted regret for using it and sort of realized their ignorance to it. So, that part makes me isn't as damning, I suppose, as what I'm next going to say, where it comes to their front man, Phil Anselmo, who people are always questionable about his beliefs and stuff. And it was kind of 
pushed to the forefront of the media when in 2016 uh, at a show celebrating the life of their guitarist Dimebag Darrell, he at the end of it he screamed into the mic white power and did a Nazi salute um, and since then he hasn't really shown a great deal of remorse he's done the usual press run and stuff but there hasn't been a distinct uh, movement of education from him or to improve himself uh, and to the point where he is what I would consider a bad person because of clearly his views and the way he's done it. My problem with this isn't just who he is because as I've said a lot of the band have actually seemed to be quite nice people. It's more the way it was dealt with within the metal community the way he dealt with it in the fact that it was almost dismissed as a fun thing and something that's uh, you know oh well he did it on stage which is certainly not the case um, because it wasn't just an offhand remark it was a if you watch the videos of it it is quite a um i don't want to say scary but it's quite a you just can't believe someone in, in such a prominent position in a community would do that it's a very deliberate act yes like, yeah 100 there's no like there's no be like so when i read about the incident and looked up a little bit his instant response was one of the weirdest reactions is it, is to it the white wine act. thing yeah, A, he decided to say he was talking about white wine. Then, when it like that was clearly not washing, he was like, oh, well, actually, I was being um, heckled the whole time by these people at the front, and they were heckling me, and it really got in my head. So your logic is, you're being heckled, so you decide to pull a Nazi salute and shout white power. Like, there's just, there's no correlation there. And then he went on to go on um, Sirius XM and do, like, a big apology thing despite having previously said he wouldn't apologize. Yeah. Um, but like, even the apology was like, not really one of, he was just like, oh, I'm sorry. If I it was a media circus, media trained apology. Yeah. Like the, the whole, I'm sorry if I offended anyone. What do you mean? You're sorry if you offended anyone. Oh, sorry. I just pulled out a salute that's, you know, associated with probably the most racist era in, you know, in human history and massive genocide. S sorry if that offends anyone. Whoops. Yeah. You know? Uh, it's it's this way that he didn't act like he was sorry and he hasn't since either like he they were his band at the time were taken off festival bills but they're since since then they've gone back onto festival bills people are acting like it hasn't happened it's not like they're people are from new zealand they can't play in new zealand yeah so they have had um well he he financial has had backlash because of it but for the most part in the medical community they often ignore it's happened um and the metal community is actually quite bad for stuff like this so a lot of extreme metal bands have often had links with Nazi imagery and yeah, uh, things similar to this. And that's metal. The metal community as a whole is a very white male genre in terms of you looking at this audience, which, so when something like this happens, it does show how enclosed it is. Um, if you want to get an idea of how this was dealt with, Google it, just Google Phil Anselmo racism or Phil Anselmo um, white power. Every, literally, I would say of the first kind of 10 links, there's maybe two that is, uh, what's his name from Slipknot criticised him? Corey Taylor, yeah, it's quite. Yeah, and another one which was like a couple of, like, a couple of them are just news articles. So, so Rob Flynn, one of his good friends, just came straight out and like, you're not my friend anymore, I've seen you, it's this, I'm not dealing with yeah. someone who's like this. But, but then like others, are the, are like, lots of people from the metal, in, metal community coming out and supporting it. Which is insane. Yeah, like, that's what, being like, oh, he he didn't mean it like that. He didn't mean it like that. So, like, think about if some. This is what I would say. Like, think about if someone like, um, I mean, uh, I'm trying to think of a 
prominent white person in any other genre. Say it's Justin Bieber or um, uh, what uh, Alex Turner from Arctic Monkeys did a similar thing. Anything like that, they'd be done. Like they'd be finished. Yeah, they'd be either kicked I mean, out of the band. The dodgy um, Justin Bieber racist joke out there, but he was like thirteen, so it's kind of hard to. I think yeah, but I, I think like the way the media would handle it would be uh, so much more damning than the way the metal community did, and that's I mean I I feel uncomfortable listening to them and promoting them as a band, not because purely because of him, because from what I understand, the rest of the actual band members are actually quite nice and yeah. Um, I mean, Dimebag Daryl was a massive, massive Republican. He apparently loved um, George Bush quite a lot, but I mean that doesn't say anything about racism. that's their that's their. Um, well, like I said, Vinnie Poole and Rex Brown have both come out when the Confederate flag was brought to the prominence in the media. They both came out and apologised and claimed their ignorance. Dimebag, yeah. dying in 2004, did, hasn't given him yeah. the chance to yeah. look back, unfortunately. But if you look at, if you hear about what people said about Dimebag, that he was actually just a nice person. Yeah, I mean, liking, um, just because you like a certain politics doesn't mean necessarily you support the more extreme yeah, side. I, I think the thing here as well is on that Confederate flag debate is that Phil Anselmo hasn't shown that he's willing to learn, educate and grow with society. Yeah. It's okay if you brought, you know, they're from Texas and if you've ever been to Texas, Alabama, you, you'll know how sheltered it is from um, socially relevant discussions with regards to race and discrimination and how it is almost like stepping back in time in a lot of parts of that area of America. Yeah. And they definitely would have experienced that and grown up in that area being four white men. Um, yeah, so it's, it's an interesting one because I think it, it also brings into discussion, can you separate the art from the artist, which is, you could do a whole podcast on that as a whole. Um, and there are plenty of people we could have brought in for this discussion in terms of Michael Jackson, Morrissey, etc. Uh, I'm... Kind of curious to see where you go on that one, Jack, before we dive properly dive into the album in terms of separate the art of the artist. I mean, and in this context as well, where it's um, one member of a band, but again, showing no remorse or anything like that. So. so it's a challenge. So for me, this is like something I've really struggled with since um, Kanye basically revealed himself to be kind of a little bit insane slash. I mean, that's not a problem, but more the views he expressed through that about um his relationship with trump and that kind of stuff um and it's weird because like i i love kanye i love loads of his music um not so much maybe the most the two most recent albums weren't as great but um and so it's really like it's a challenge to kind of how do you grapple with your opinion on that and um part of me always thinks it's about what the art represents to some extent so in the example of uh, Michael Jackson, for example, his music and his art is celebrated for the kind of impact it had over a great period of time, the influence it had in music, just how kind of important it was for, um, I guess the way in which he told a story of uh, being a young black man in America at first, but then again, that kind of got a little bit weird and, you know, it's a challenge and, in this situation with kind of with Phil Anselmo, I think when it's someone who's a front man and they're doing that kind of thing, it's hard to separate that from the art. So for example, say Kanye was to do a show and he was to go on a rant about how 
Donald Trump was great and all that kind of stuff. And that he thought, you know, he was making America great again. And, you know, people should be praising him. I would really struggle to f- keep listening to Kanye and not think of that afterwards. Yeah, I think there's definitely an element of using the platform as well, you've got to think, yeah, so, which is where this comes in with Phil Anselmo as well. If it's your private view and, you know, you think those kind of things, don't be wrong, like in some circumstances, like Kanye just thinking that Trump is good, I can, couldn't disagree with him more, but that's his private view. On the flip side, with someone like Phil Anselmo or Michael Jackson and the pretty blatant child abuse, um, that's a different kettle of fish. And like, as much as obviously I do still really like listening to some Michael Jackson songs, and I did quite enjoy actually listening to this Pantera album after a couple listens, I'll admit. Last night, I did listen again and quite enjoyed it. Um, But it's hard to forget those things once you know them. Like it's always like an asterisk over it. It's like, and that's, you know, to put it in a sporting context, it's like an asterisk over it. Like, that is, I don't know, that's just how it It's like, I was going to put it this way, in the sense that if, so Phil Anselmo was in a bunch of other bands as well. He's in one of my favourite stoner metal bands called Down, um, and obviously Pantera. And if he was to come and play a show, whether it be Down or whether he'd do a Pantera reunion or whatever, something along those lines, I wouldn't go and sit. I wouldn't feel comfortable watching him live. Yeah. I don't feel comfortable. I was I was unsure whether I wanted to bring this album forward as much because I don't feel comfortable promoting him, But I, which is why I wanted to have this discussion before we dive into the album so we can make it clear that what he's done is wrong and the, the way he reacted to doing it as well and the way the media reacted to it. You know, when you've got that sort of pedestal to do what he did on a stage and to show no remorse for it, like the rest of the band members were very condemning of the Confederate flag. The fact that, you know, that they took the t-shirt off their website and stuff and they don't. Yeah. I mean, the thing, the thing as well, I think we have to, if we're going to talk about art and artists quickly, you have to remember this is a concept that exists in all forms of art. So Tom Cruise, people fucking love Tom Cruise films. They'll go and see all his films. They'll spend all their money buying Tom Cruise, you know, Mission Impossible shit. Like, who cares? Like, they don't give a shit. But the fact that he's part of one of the most elitist, dangerous cults kind of globally seems to just kind of slip past people's minds. Like, they don't care about that. Which is something I still grapple with because there are going to be fucking millions of people going to see Top Gun when it comes out. Yeah, tons. I'll probably be curious to see it at some point, but I still think that that's an that's an example of just because it's because some for some reason in the cinema industry. So, and you look at someone like Johnny Depp, who's been accused of yeah. um, abuse uh, of his partners and stuff, and it's, not multiple people. It's, it's not just one. It goes throughout, and it, you know you could even go back in time to plenty of things with like Motley Crue and stuff like that in the. I'm sure we'll touch on it in the 80s, actually, when we do our, go back to our mini-series there, but that sort of thing. And, and th- this is obviously a big debate right now. It's part of it. It's like cancel culture and retrospectively cancelling stuff and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I personally think it's important to keep things preserved so that we remember where we were. And so, for example, I'm not saying we should stop letting Tom Cruise make films or anything. I'm nothing like that. You know, Scientology is pretty crazy and pretty fucked up, but like there is sadly no way they can prove the stuff they're accused of. So right now it's just kind of a pretty legal cult, um, which I hope <laughs> doesn't get this podcast shut down, me saying that. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but like the the same time, you have, um, you have to kind of think about like, 
it's important for you to understand like where we are and what like where we've come from and how things have changed and like being able to understand the context of it. So maybe if people were more aware of Tom Cruise's member of Scientology and just kind of how bad they were, I think people are, but they just choose not, not to think to, of it. Yeah. But like, like in the same in the context of music, like people now I feel like will always listen to Chris Brown and associate him with the incident that happened to Rihanna because of how public it was. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, what, whatever you feel about Chris Brown, his music is still quite popular, still does quite well. But I feel like it does that with the asterisk of this guy, either, I'm not sure about now, but was a very bad bloke. Yeah. Like, and I think it's definitely one of these things. It's a, I would almost say personal choice, but I think it's worth, when you do speak about one of these problematic artists you've got to mention their problems when you promote their art as well i think and and give it to the person to make the choice which is hence why we're having this discussion before we actually talk about the album itself um we could have a whole podcast i think talking about this subject in terms of art and artists there's a lot lot there and there's i'm sure we'll we'll come back to it at points as well with other artists and albums we talk about so i suppose it's time we actually talk about the album itself um so vulgar display of power is Technic- it was released in 1992. It's technically Pantera's sixth album, but people tend to dismiss their first four albums um, because they're just not very good. Uh, <laughs> put it simply, and and it was complete different sound to what they do eventually sound like. So their run of albums in the 90s, uh, which goes from you're going to test me now, Cowboys from Hell, Vulgar Display of Power, Far Beyond Driven, and The Great Southern Trend Kill, um, are four. Are probably, is probably one of the best run of metal albums in the 90s. Actually, probably it is the best run of metal albums in the 90s. I don't think a single band put together run that good in the 90s. They're probably the most definitive metal band of the 90s. Um, and they've got a very unique... Well, at the time, it was a very unique style, coming off the back of the 80s being dominated by thrash metal, you know, Metallica, Megadeth, um, Anthrax, Slayer. And then you obviously had bands like Judas Priest and Iron Maiden coming through. Uh, with their power metal um this album is a lot more aggressive i mean you'd probably compare it a bit to slayer in that sense but what makes them different from the thrash metal and the power metal is the fact they only had one guitarist in dying by daryl which i'm sure we'll talk about here in a sense that it adds a slight lack of depth and is almost like a they've got so essentially the subgenre is called groove metal and what they've essentially done is taken black sabbath and played it more played it faster and played it angrier with that slight southern twang that you get with bands from uh, texas alabama which is kind of standard um what do you think about this jack because i think this is this has that this is a interesting one i think because i was unsure how you're going to take this one um because it's it's heavy and aggressive but it's still got a bit more of that sort of mainstream metal style to it so um, regular listeners of the podcast will know that I'm not really into my heavier stuff. Um, so the first listen of this, maybe I think it was maybe the first two listens, I really, I really struggled to kind of not get on with it, but I just couldn't, I couldn't really appreciate it, I don't think. I didn't find myself really uh, taking it on board. But then on the third listen, I think I started to really pick up on uh, more of the like specifics in the riffs and stuff like that and once I kind of got that going I enjoyed it a bit more the vocals didn't do much for me just generally heavier it's, it's stuff it's all harsh vocals there's no clean vocals really in there yeah. so. um the kind of mix up at the end with hollow being the kind of slower song 
that was weird. I was expecting some of that to be more near the middle, but um, I guess that makes it, it's quite an intense lift in that respect. Um, but I did like the kind of slashing, kind of thumping guitar quite a lot. And um, the, the drums is pretty good. Um, but again, I mean, I didn't hate it and I didn't, I wouldn't say I love it, but I did quite enjoy by the kind of third listen. It wasn't, I wasn't kind of just kind of hoping for it to end. I was actually appreciating the songs more. Yeah, no, I think I'll, I mean, I'll, I should probably start with my relationship to this album. So this isn't my favorite Pantera album. <laughs> this doesn't include my favorite Pantera song on it. In fact, the reason I kind of chose it was one of two reasons. One, it contains their most famous song in Walk, which is a, uh, metal anthem so if you go to any metal show whether it's a metallica stadium show or a small hundred cap underground show if walk goes over the pa before the band comes on uh, everyone will be sort of like subtly singing along and nodding their heads to it it's one of those songs that everyone in the metal community knows it's a true anthem you know you, you put it up there with the enter sandman's um and the uh I'm trying to think of another metal anthem that's not Metallica here, the Paranoids and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, um, and but further to that, it's also probably the most critically well-received Pantera album uh, to the point where it's been put in, this is a general all genres, uh, it's one of the 1001 albums you must hear before you die. So it's in that list. Uh, and it's Rolling Stone listed it as the 10th greatest metal album of all time. Um, it's not their most commercially successful. The one that followed is Far Beyond Driven, which is my favorite, actually got to number one on the Billboard 200, which shows how um, big they were during the 90s. Uh, but yeah, so it's, it's got this bouncing riff rhythm section, coupled with uh, bouncing riff guitars, coupled with quite a harsh rhythm section. The drumming is quite sharp and punchy. Um, but it's got a nice uh, sort of, Bounce, which I really like. Um, like I said, it's just Pantera. I'm, I'm a sucker for these groove riffs, this Dimebag style, which is taken further. We'll actually talk about it a bit in the Nickelback one. Uh, I'll yeah. talk next. Uh, but the it, the influence of that style of riffing, I think, was huge. Um, and I'm sure you've it's heard. A bounce is definitely the term. It's literally, it's that is exactly it. It kind of, it is just kind of a. Um, it like keeps your head bobbing while you listen to it, which is quite a weird experience, but. Yeah, I found that was that was a bit I did really enjoy. Yeah, and it is, um, to take it back to what we talked about at the start, this album is so much more than Phil Anselmo. While his vocals are perhaps a bit are noticeable because of his style and his voice, because of how it, that's what comes out when you sort of are doing harsher vocals, your accent and stuff comes out a lot more in your um, vocals. It's just, I, I reckon someone else could easily be fronting this band and they'd be just as good. Um, because of that bouncy riff, the the rhythm section, which really props it up. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I love Pantera. They're probably one of my favorite metal bands, if not, I mean, maybe Slipknot and then Pantera. But if you want to look at sort of true out and out, I'd put Slipknot with their DJ stuff a bit more separate. But if you're looking at just straightforward guitar and vocal metal band, Pantera would probably be my favorite. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I'm quite quite happy that you kind of, after a few listens, you got into it. I think there are, like you said, the riffing is, I think, the most accessible part to it. Um, if you like, yeah. if you like a good sort of radio rock riff, a la Nickelback, etc., you might actually vibe with the riffing on this. But again, it's the vocals where a lot of people will fall down. Um, I think bef yeah. before we move on, I just wanted to. Quite, I don't know whether you saw this uh, fact when you're doing your research. So the album cover is of a guy getting punched in the face. It's very iconic. 
um, the drummer Vinnie Paul claimed, this hasn't been confirmed and it's, someone actually denied it, that the man being punched, it was initially punched in a boxing glove and they went, no, we want it to be bare fist. Uh, so he was ended up being punched 31 times until they got the correct shot that they wanted. And he was paid $10 a punch. So he made $310 for that album cover. Which is one of the most for the CCE? Mm. Yeah, I know. And for, sure. I mean, he should have definitely done some sort of like percentage sales or something, royalties, because yeah. it is one of the most iconic album covers in metal. So yeah. quite interesting. I wouldn't be paid $310 to be punched 31 times barefoot. No yeah, bare fist thirty-one times. And if you look at, if you actually look, go and look at the album cover, um, if you don't want to go and find it on Spotify, go on our Instagram. You can see it there. Imagine how shit he felt when he found yeah. out Anselmo was racist. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he did all that. Is on an album cover for him. Got paid three hundred and ten dollars for it, and then it all turned out the guy who did it for him is bloody racist. Yeah. Long term <laughs> concussion and brain problems, and he's all he's got is an album cover from from a racist to show for it. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah, um, yeah. Without me going on rattling on about Pantera too much, I think I think that's quite a good little place to end it before we move on to one of the many bands that Pantera influenced in Nickelback. Yeah, yeah. So, album number two was selected by myself, and it is probably one of the most uh, memed albums of all time. And it is All the Right Reasons by Nickelback. Now, this album I really could have picked for teenage years, but I decided for that one we wanted to have a bit of a variety of genres. But I have a lot of anecdotes to go with this. Um, the primary one of which is when this album first came out, I bought it the day it released because I've been obsessively listening to um, How You Remind Me, I think it's called, one of their singles on YouTube. And then this album released and I bought it straight away. And my dad had just bought a new car, a Volkswagen Touran, for those that are curious. And um, he decided to we'd go for a drive in it. So I just whipped out this new album and was like insisted on playing it. And I remember dad looking at me about halfway through Animals was playing and just kind of being like, what is this music? I was, what, nine at the time? So <laughs> um, it didn't go down too well. Um, but yeah, so it's pretty pretty important i guess it's a pretty important part of my music journey that and uh green day i guess um were kind of two of my first real inductions into like proper rock music well proper i wouldn't know this this is one of the criticisms of nickelback but yeah so um to give a bit of background to this it is released in october 2005 it's probably the worst uh pod uh worst album we've had in terms of reviews on the pod it's got a metacritic store of 41 Jesus. i'm pretty sure our other worst one was a 59 or a 58 or something um and i can't remember what that was we had like a we had a three star yeah not a two star yeah um and that was i think that might have been i can't remember anyway this is by far the worst it got absolutely destroyed but yet it is one of the best selling albums in u.s history and is I think it's like top thirty, maybe top forty in U.S. history of sales. It's got like nine million sales. It's, it's just under ten million. It's, oh, I, when I did my research, it's just it's like I can't remember who it's off, but it's off some an absolutely massive album. It's like forty thousand sales off a ridiculous yeah. like what, what you would consider a classic album from most people. Yeah, uh, but to fair, when you look at that list, there's also like the Forrest Gump soundtrack. It's just above the uh, Lion King soundtrack. So. 
yeah, I don't know. It doesn't make much sense, really, but um, it's pretty impressive. Uh, I guess we'll go to kind of get the, the kind of serious stuff out of the way first before we go on to the more... I mean, this album is rightfully mocked quite a lot, and we will be doing that later on. But first, we'll just kind of talk a little bit in regards to our discussion about Pantera. Obviously, Amos has kind of touched on it. This band was massively influenced by Pantera. Um, to the extent where Side of a Bullet on this album is actually a tribute song kind of written about the death of Dimebag Daryl that Amos mentioned earlier um, and features riffs taken from Vulgar Display of Power and some unheard riffs that they kind of just mashed together with the permission of his brother, um, Vinnie Paul, and his ex-girlfriend, well, his girlfriend at the time he died. Um, and put this together and it kind of, that's why this song, I don't know, I feel like it sounds a little bit different to a lot of the other rest of the album. Um, and if you listen to it with that context, you kind of hear the story of how he was killed, obviously kind of told through the, um, through the song. And it actually makes it probably the, one of the only lyrically song, sound songs on the album. Um, yeah, definitely more, more so. It's definitely, um, I mean, we'll touch on it when we go to the comedic side for the lyrics, um, but yeah, and I think that whole, I mean, one of the things I messaged you was when we started this, I was like, if you want a description of Pantera, just think of an angry Nickelback, <laughs> which yeah. is essentially, I like Pantera's influence on, I mean, Nickelback are the kings of US radio rock, you know, in terms of that genre where you've got bands like uh, Godsmack, Breaking Benjamin, Creed, um, all that lot. Nickelback are the king, they're the gods of it. You know, they are the best of the best for that genre, um, which is a genre that's so often criticized for what it is uh but that pantera influence is huge it's like you said it's not i don't think it's as prominent on this album i think the album after this one dark horse the one with burn it to the ground and stuff on that's a lot more groovy in terms of the riffing this does this does have it throughout and this was being released in 2005 um a year after the death of dimebag i imagine it wasn't initially planned to be a riffier album which is hence why side of a bullet is a bit of a yeah, it is probably is the heaviest song on here. Essentially, on a quick side note, do you know why that's his nickname? Dimebag. Oh, there's loads. He was originally called Diamond, and it just he changed. Yeah. So for the for Vulgar Display, he was called Diamond Diamond Head Daryl or Diamond. Di yeah, Diamond Daryl. Yeah, and then he changed it because he wanted to kind of change his image. And it's actually Dimebag is because he would never have like if if fans or anyone gave him more than ten dollars worth of weed, he'd always say no because he didn't want to get caught with more than $10 on him. So they, so Phil and Selma actually nicknamed him Dimebag Daryl, and then that just became the thing. Um, yeah, so I think to talk a bit more about um, all the right reasons, it's there are so many inexplicable things on this album that you just kind of have to think like, like, I mean like we said it is radio rock it's kind of commercial it's kind of um it's always got that corny side to it but most of these songs are inexplicably shite in terms of the way the lyrics are put together oh, lyrically horrendous i mean i've got a few notes to it. <laughs> yeah i mean let's just, let's start by going through some i mean i i want to talk a little bit about photograph i don't know if you've got any notes on photograph anyways. yeah I've got, I've got i've got a little bit about um what i i mean 
this I, when I was going through this, I was like, I need to pick up lyrics to quote because I can't just say the lyrics are bad. I wanted, to, you know, professionalism and all that. So I thought I'd just go through the album because I like it's every song pretty much. Yeah. So I literally went on Genius for the album and just went through each song and was just picking. I was like, I can't do every song. So I just picked three, which happened to be three songs that were pretty much back to back, I think. Um, yeah. I've got a, a few from Photograph. I just, well, I've got four lines from Photograph, well, uh, but I could have picked a lot more than that about. And I'm sure you're going to talk about photograph a bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, and I've got animals is probably my favourite one. Um, I'll, 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 I'll do a quote after the photograph discussion for yeah. animals. So, photograph was my age nine favourite song off this, and then I think it became rock star when that became so big. Um, but for some reason, age nine and ten, I absolutely adored photograph. It was a great song. Um, yeah, you can imagine kind of as I hit those teenage angst I think age 11 and 12 I found the album again and suddenly started loving it even more than I probably really understood it age 9 and 10 but like <laughs> yeah it's so inexplicable it's just I mean so what have you got written down before I go into I want to talk about some aspects of it but I'll wait for you to get your done first so with the uh, photograph I went for like the second or third verse I went Kim's the first girl I kissed. I was so nervous that I nearly missed. She's had a couple of kids since then. I haven't seen her since God knows when. Yeah. So to take that, like, tear that That's quite tame, I think, for quite a few of them. But To nearly miss kissing someone. Yeah, because you're so nervous. But, like, how do you miss? (laughs) It's like something out of a Will Ferrell film. Quite a large target. If you miss their lips, okay, you're still kissing them. I know it's like was he, was he blindfolded or was he? I mean, to be fair, he does talk about his eyes were so red. Yeah, but that's true. one of the lyrics is like, "How did our eyes get so red?" Like something's on. And then, and then, I don't know. And then the bit that rhymes with that was, "There's something on Joey's head." Yeah. Who's Joey? <laughs> Who's Joey? <laughs> What's on his head? And at no point do we ever see the the photograph discussed in this is never shared. I don't think I've never seen it. Um, you only I'd see it in the um, video, don't you? When he holds it up. Oh yeah, he, yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> that, the, in the meme, the the very yeah, famous meme. Look at this graph. It turned into. There's actually I saw about quite recently. It was like the the graph of U.S. COVID cases. Um, yeah, it's like. And then there's another bit where they talk about uh, breaking into school, and like he talks about. I was saying this to Amos today. There's a bit where he talks about how he broke into school. Um, criminal record says he's done it twice. So this bloke has been arrested twice supposedly for going into his old school like, i loved my school i really enjoyed my school years i'm very fortunate to have had very good school years i know not everyone does but i didn't like it that much at no point i've been tempted to break back in let alone do it as he then confesses to claiming to have done it more than half a dozen times and only got well, caught twice to be fair you only got caught well, twice <laughs> have you not got a bar or a park or something nearby where you can go and socialize and why are you writing a song about it? I'm yeah. just, there are so many. I mean, yeah, right. Let's move on to the next weirdest one, which actually probably is the weirdest song on the entire album, Animals. Yeah, so uh, you could pretty much take this whole song down, but I think the most notable bit, I believe this is actually the chorus as well, um, or at least part of it. It's, you're beside me on the seat, got your hand between my knees, and you control how fast we go by just how hard you want to squeeze. It's hard to steer when you're breathing in my ear, but I got both hands on the wheel while you got both hands on my gears. Yeah. 
It gets even dirtier than that, I'm pretty sure. It does, yeah. I think uh, that's why I just picked the chorus, I think, rather than the, the so No, no, that's the that's that's the build up to the chorus. Is it a pre chorus? Pre chorus. Like um we're acting like oh, we're animals. animals. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Yeah, it's so the pre chorus. The, yeah. the story of this song is basically him and his, I guess, girlfriend, I don't know, whoever he's seeing at the time. Avril Lavigne. Yeah. Well, no, they weren't seeing each other during this. Oh, that was earlier. Yeah, got my, got my Chad Kruger timelines mixed up. Okay. I've, don't worry. I've memorized it. Um, so whoever he's seeing, he's gone to their house. They've stolen her father's car, which again, why <laughs> you Chad Kruger? You've got a car. Very you know? Ferris Bruller. Yeah. Yeah. And then they've gone and driven down the road they started having sex in the car and inexplicably somehow the dad has then tracked them down and then like there's this lyric about like um like we can't find the keys they must have fell out the ignition while we were moving our position which actually is quite a fun rhyme but it's just such a good flow on that it's good little flow on that to be fair logical concept also how are you moving position to kick the keys out of the ignition? Like, I, I know you don't drive, Moose, but like... I know where the ignition is and like... Yeah, and having put keys in an ignition, they don't just fall out like that. They kind of stay in quite well. Like one of them would have had to do some sort of pirouette almost and like... To clarify, some people will be listening to this thinking, well, you, don't take, you haven't taken apart other albums' lyrics like this. Listen, if you think that we're just being harsh, please... Pull up the list of the lyrics of every yeah. song on this album, with certain exceptions, and try and tell me that this is not a clear problem, because there is not a single song on this album which has any kind of like. Str- I'm not saying every song has to have stronger meaning or anything. That's not my point. But just like the fact that the lyrics basically make no sense, half the time they talk about a context that's just completely inexplicable. And the worst bit about this, the worst bit about Nickelback's lyrics, is that Chad Kruger can write a melody in a hook so fucking well that you can't help but sing along to them and you're singing yeah. along and you're going did i just say that <laughs> and the rhymes as well the rhymes are just like he'll stretch stuff into rhyme that doesn't really make it's like in his head he's thought of a rhyme that he wants to use but he hasn't thought of the, the words before that rhyme so he just kind of goes with whatever makes it work like yeah, it's, it's, it's like it's like a 15 year old trying to write a rock song about sex and that's pretty much the entire album However, I do want to bring a bit of light. The, the light that comes at the end of this lyrical mess of a tunnel is Rockstar because that song is lyrically superb, despite the fact that it's, it's like all of his bullshit till then has just made no sense. But on this song, because it's literally about the concept of being a fucking like insane rock star, it works. It's just literally what he is. <laughs> have a bathroom so big you can play baseball in which as a concept is insane but lines up quite well with what he's talking about the whole so rock just, yeah the ridiculousness of it actually works on that song and has so many of fantastic lyrics uh, yeah I mean, it's this this album's bizarre because it is like we said the lyrics are horrendous or just bonkers but then there's hooks on every song like you you can listen to this album and you'll listen to it again and you'll know the words and you'll be able to stuck in your head. Um, you know, actually, when I was doing my research, this is an absolute bonkers thing I found out, is that Billy Gibbons, the guitarist of the legendary ZZ Top, one of the most iconic three pieces ever, um, known for their beards more than anything, but they've got some absolutely fucking rages in terms of songs. 
he guests on two songs on this album. Really? He guests on Follow You Home and he guests on Rockstar. Okay, Rockstar, fantastic. Good from him. Follow You Home. Mm. But again, Follow You Home, can we also talk about that a little bit? Very creepy. Yeah. Like, I know we've, we've just torn apart the comedic side, but let's just quickly just divert back. 2005, I think it shows we were really not on top of our um, social discussions about maybe how we, uh, how we talk about, um, let's talk about, let's say how we talk about the treatment of females, especially in the concept of following them home and then making songs about it. Yes, and I think it was definitely, one of the albums I was thinking of picking was uh, Limp Biscuit, which have a very similar style of where they are quite misogynistic in some of the lyrics. I've just, There's also I've, next next contestant is an incredibly misogynistic song. The yeah. idea that he's a girlfriend that he's just going to like prevent any other guy from speaking to is just controlling and insane. Like we can laugh at a lot of the insane lyrics, but also a lot of these lyrics are just kind of reinforcing very stupid and dangerous ideologies. Yeah, I just, I've just pulled up the "Follow You Home" lyrics. So this is the chorus. Um, I mean, it starts with, I'll, I'll stay alive just to follow you home. But there's a bit here where it's, you can slap me in the face and you can scream profanity. So assuming she's dumped him or said, fuck off, leave me here to die alone, but I'll still follow you home. Essentially, you can say no, but I'm still going to say yes, which is the dangerous part of this, this genre, I think, as well. Like this radio rock genre, which is... Like, when you think about how big this album is, that's a lot of, like, probably young teens listening to this and... I know it's extrapolation to say this, but some young teens will probably form their ideas of how relationships work. And like, if you've just gone through a breakup and you're listening to that, you're probably thinking, well, I should do everything to get her back. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to take no for an answer, which is, dang- which is extremely yeah. dangerous to like. Yeah. And the whole idea of next contestant is just reinforcing the idea that, you know, your partner is your property and that you shouldn't let them spend time with anyone else, kind of, you know, regardless of gender. It's like, that's fucked in itself as well. Like, your boyfriend or girlfriend should be happy to spend time with whoever they are like i don't know it's it's a very good album in terms of music it's very bad in terms of lyric and subject matter yeah. i think um, that's where a lot of the criticism comes for nickelback is the fact that is the lyrics a bit stupid um and who they are as a band as well like they, they often act like they're the greatest band in the world and i think yeah. when you take nickelback for what they are this is something we, we've actually been wanting to bring nickelback on for quite a while onto this because we have actually wanted to like talk about Nickelback a bit more um Nickelback one of these bands that they've got enough songs in their catalogue to play an hour and a half two hours with and you go there with your mates and have a few beers and you'll have a good time you know you, you disregard that the lyrics don't mean anything just because he writes fun songs with good hooks and good melodies and quite fun sort of dancey riffs in there as well yeah yeah like I mean it's it's difficult to when I reflect on it, it's difficult to think about the why. Like, I think Young Me would have had no idea about, kind of, yeah. especially of those tracks we discussed. And also, Young Me didn't really understand what Animals was on about. Yeah. No way. It was, the thing um, is, he, he's really weirdly unsubtle, but subtle about it. Yeah. Like, for example, literally naming a track Follow You Home yeah. <laughs> is like a great example of like, he just kind of, he almost is just brazenly putting it out there. But, I don't know. I, I enjoyed listening to it again, and I will still stand by the fact that I think Rockstar is an unbelievable oh, song. Oh, it's one of the best pop, pop rock songs of all time. And I quickly want to, to, like, it's hard to have this discussion without talking about the band that they passed the torch to, which is Imagine Dragons. And 
I feel like I'm very glad that our generation got Nickelback and not Imagine Dragons because I feel like listening back to Nickelback now, you can still enjoy it. Whereas I haven't heard an Imagine Dragons song I've heard, I, I've liked in about eight years. Yeah, so I, I do by choice quite often go back and listen to Nickelback, whether it's just their singles or whether it's this album or the um, Dark Horse after it. I, because they are just a fun band. They're quite, I know we spoke about the lyrics being stupid and the, um, particularly the more serious negative side of the misogyny of the lyrics, but they're quite a unoffensive band to listen to in terms of, yeah. they're, they're not challenging. They're quite simple. It's, it's easy listening for if you just want something fun to sort of listen to. Yeah. I mean, that is the weird thing. It's like, I guess it, yeah, we're, we're in danger here of crossing back into art and the artist, but this is the case of a situation where it's like the art itself is kind of, actually a little bit backwards but it's masked with kind of this poppy undertone i don't want to call it poppy but it is that the, the way he yeah. writes his melodies and hooks 100 percent, they're, yeah. they're pop yeah so i don't know it's strange i think listening to it in a 2020 context um made my perspective of it change a little but it didn't change the fact that i still have a good affinity with it and it still was one of the albums that i listened to yeah. kind of quite a lot when I was younger and to be honest if you want a laugh and you just like want to listen to something that's kind of going to get your head bobbing you're going to kind of enjoy stick it on take it for what it is understand the context of the fact that you shouldn't follow someone home yeah yeah. (laughs) Um, as long as you take it as a stupid joke sort of thing yeah and you'll enjoy it as long as you can kind of yeah like and understand the fact that the lyrics literally will not make sense at multiple points I'm, I'm, I'm one of the people that if a song's good, the lyrics aren't a huge factor. Um, there are obviously times when it does become an issue if it's certain things being said. Yeah, but... I'm a little bit different for that, but I think that's more, I'm uh, quite a lyrical person. I mean, to be fair, like, for example, one of my favourite Slipknot songs opens with, I want to slit your throat and fuck the wound. I mean, if you're taking that seriously, that's a bit... Yeah, that's like, an interesting one. Um, so I think... <laughs> So I think when it comes to them, like you said, just take it as a joke almost. Take it as just stupidity. And if, yeah. you, if you assume Nickelback are one of these fun bands and you take it as just being a bit stupid and fun, do it that way, sort of thing, rather than... Yeah. But do, I think it is important, yeah, to understand the, you know, the context of the fact that in 2005, this was an incredibly well-selling album. And I don't think that was even a discussion. I even looked around it. There's not much discussion about the fact that maybe a lot of these songs on this album are a little bit... Um, That's, yeah, problem. people are oh, too busy to hate on Nickelback for being stupid. stupid that they don't realise that there are dangerous lyrics in here. Yeah. There is actually genuine criticism of Nickelback you could, yeah, you could make beyond the fact of them being stupid. But um, their stupidity as a band kind of masks that. As it, it's almost it, what makes it enjoyable for, I think, both of us when listening to them. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's a pretty good discussion of... Yeah. Nickelback and the greatest uh, Canadian album of all time. <laughs> wow! Don't you dare say that. Just no, it's not. I just want to. I just want to point out it's actually not because there's yeah. plenty, but or it's great Scorpion. But anyway, we could be here all day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I think we will move on to talk about our listener pick, which will, I think, be a lot more of a light and kind of friendly discussion. Okay, and our final album, our listeners' pick for this week. As as always, each week we take 
one of our three albums will be picked by you, the listeners. Uh, go on our Instagram and we tend to start taking suggestions from Tuesday and we draw out of the hat or do some sort of competition for them on Wednesday. This week's was Mahalia Love and Compromise. It was suggested by Sarah Gregory. Um, I guess we should start off by, before we dive into it, but we're not too sure how this is a guilty pleasure. So when, when, I, when we questioned Sarah on it, uh, the, the response we got was a bit of a shrug and I like to dance to it a bit stupid, which is why it's a guilty pleasure. So I can kind of understand, and I'm sure when we discuss it a bit more, however, the, considering the theme, it maybe doesn't fit it as well as it could do. I'm going to rule. I'm going to rule and say this is not a guilty pleasure. Not at all. Anyway. I don't think it has any... I'm going to have to see this dance at some point. Yeah. It's got to be extremely ridiculous to make this a guilty pleasure because this is a brilliant album. At the moment, you're, you've got a one-week suspension uh, from suggestions. <laughs> yeah. Pending review. Pen, yeah, pending appeal and review. We might upgrade it to two, depending on the dance. Yeah. Um, anyway, so on to the album. Uh, it was released in September last year, so it's quite recent. It's her debut record. She was 21 when this was recorded, released. However, she's been signed to Atlantic Records since the age of 13. Um, so she's been around the music industry a lot. Uh, it's a R&B record as, as such, but it's got lots of elements of soul, jazz, disco in there amongst her quite pop-laden vocals. Uh, so I suppose let's just go straight. And I really enjoy this actually kind of first time listening to it, first time even really paying attention to it. I really enjoyed it. What about you, Jack? What did you think? I'm not even said the name of it yet. It's Mahalia Love and Compromise. Oh yeah, just just in case that was missed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You might have skipped over that bit, but yeah, um, I fucking love this. Uh, so it was, I guess it's technically she has another album, but I think that's kind of lost in the void. Yeah, I think um, it was a compilation of like songs. Yeah. It's like almost like a mixtape more than that. I must think. Was yeah. So like you say, she she'd been with uh, um basically with Atlantic. She's with Asylum Records, but um. Asylum, they're part of uh, Warner, I think. Anyway, yeah, it, it, one, of the, one of the big major label umbrella company yeah, things. Yeah. Yeah. Eight years. So since she was 13, she released this at age 21. And her journey through that, like, there's a, a few videos on her YouTube where she kind of does almost like a weird, like, deep dive introspective on herself and, like, speaks to the people around her and her agent and her family and stuff. And, like, she'd kind of been struggling to really find her sound so if you listen to the stuff she got signed for it was kind of acoustic um slower more almost folky kind of music um with a kind of r&b edge and then this album obviously is completely different to that um so that's worth a watch if if anyone's curious um the album itself is based upon an interview uh with the actress and singer Eartha Kitt. So if you're not familiar who she is, she played Madame Zeroni in um, Holes. <laughs> That's the most famous thing I recognised her from, but she's been in loads of stuff and she's got quite a few big songs. She's a very prominent uh, feminist and yeah, along those lines. She's she's quite, out, outspoken. Prominent, like, yeah, activist. Um, and she talks about this concept in the... It's sampled at the start of the first song. Um, and it, she talks about... Uh, the kind of concept of love and compromise so in hideout and the whole album is kind of not all songs but a lot of it is is about the concept of people in a relationship and whether they change for the person in the relationship and this is kind of focused on the idea of almost like rejecting that and the idea that people should just be proud of who they are and and not kind of 
um, change themselves just because their partner is trying to make them be something that maybe they're not, um, which I think she said a lot of it was based on her past relationships, um, which is an interesting theme. And you kind of hear that in a lot of the songs. Um, I absolutely loved it. I love the way it's produced. It's produced a lot by Felix Joseph. He's, I think, the exec producer. He did um, George Smith, like, AJ Tracy, a bunch of other yeah. Stuff. He's done some huge stuff, um, but it's got some other producers kind of working on it as well. It's got some really good features, Burner Boy and LMA, um, who are both do LMA's verse actually really, really good. Um, Hamza, who's she toured with, has got a feature on Regular People, which is a fantastic song. Um, I just kept going through and liking more and more and more of the song so i loved it on my first listen but like yeah i don't know this is one of the best although it's absolutely not to do with the theme at all and i'm still not going to let that slide it's one of the best listener suggestions we've definitely had because this is not something i was really that familiar with yet. Yeah, so de- definitely really- a surprise as well in terms of um not really paying attention to it ne- never listened to it before it, you know completely kind of caught me off guard in that sense um I think there's so much about, you mentioned the production there. It's got such great subtleties and stuff within it. So it's, you know, when I mentioned at the start, it's R&B, but it's got these jazz and these disco and soul influences. So there's subtleties where it has keys on it. So pianos lead rather than say a simple sort of bass sort of lead. It's got saxophones coming in and it's, it's not like they're predominant through one song. They'll be dropped in for a bar or two just to add a bit of depth in between verses or as a pre-chorus you've got trumpet in there there's guitar leads even if it's just a little um again another little bar solo just as a bridge it varies and there's even electronic samples in there to keep it modern sounding um without it sounding dated which allows for all these influences from the more disco to the r&b the soul so you've got um oh, what's the slow song is it karma yeah yeah Karma, so you've got the slow song, that's very soul and soulful in how it comes about. But then it's immediately followed by He's Mine, which is almost a disco song in, in essence, in terms of how it's got this beat to it and this dancey sort of bass uh, rhythm to it. And yeah, just throughout. And then her vocals are, as well are so, you know, melod- the way that she uh, weaves these melodic, uh, soulful vocals in between all these different production styles. And it all still works. So you can go from one song where you feel like you're sat in a jazz club to you feel like you're, um, you know, in a, watching a soul show or whether you're watching a disco and R&B. And you've, like I said, you've got these hip hop influences in there as well. Um, yeah. It really shows that she is being around and very into her varying styles of music and the way that she does weave her vocals. Um, and it shows that she's been in the music industry for so long because she has this maturity about her in the way she sings. I think, like, so obviously we've just gone from tearing apart a uh <laughs> tearing apart the lyrics of another album but lyrically this is so well written um some great lyrics on there just in the first track i wrote noted down there's a bit where she says to kind of talk about the whole concept of love and compromise one of the tracks is um i was here the whole time you were busy chasing you don't know what you had i'm amazing um and that's just like a kind of example of you know they're not incredibly deep or anything but they're just so well put together um i like the mix of tracks like you said like so obviously we get bits of everything uh, um i like the kind of i personally really enjoyed simmer because it's kind of suddenly you get this like dance hall vibe out of nowhere 
it's uh, almost a um i don't want to say reggae but it's almost got that slight influence in the especially on the hook with simmer simmer it's got yeah, that slight a, reggae scar style in it one people might have heard is i wish i missed my ex because that came out in 2018 i think it, it was the lead single yeah yeah um and that's quite well that was quite big not massive but quite big um that again is kind of a slightly different sound on its own um and it's just it's got a great mix of stuff that comes together to form this really nice album just it's such such a pleasant thing to listen to so and it even finishes like square one you get the gospel vocals in the back um which is just not something that I was expecting, but it's nice to get as a variety. I don't yeah. know. I just really, I just really enjoyed this. Yeah, and no, I think it keeps its with these varying influences of all these, you know, obviously all these genres that we've mentioned overlap, like gospel, soul, R and B, jazz, whatever. They all overlap between each other, typically in terms of their styles, the sounds, influences. I mean, they're all, all originated from this bluegrass style, which is definitely throughout. I mean, there's a guitar lick. I can't remember what song it is. Um, it's a little bridge that is a complete blues sort of slide guitar style. Uh, but again, it's not prominent. It's not, it's just very subtle, which doesn't overshadow her vocals and stuff. It keeps it feeling like a solo record rather than a big band record. Um, but this varying style keeps, which keeps you interested is that so often pop or albums that are going to aim to be within the mainstream or major labels will stick to a blueprint of a song being three and a half minutes long. Whereas in fact on this, the links very, very rarely hit that sort of blueprint and they off, they vary from two and a half to five minutes long. Um, they flow. It's not like it's, there's no strict blueprint per song. Um, I think, yeah. I think that whole idea keeps you interested. And again, it's, we spoke a lot, we speak a lot about how these sort of slightly popular albums and more mainstream albums can be quite long um, and drag a bit or one pace. This is certainly not that. It varies in pace. It's only 43 minutes long. So it's, it's almost over before you know it um, yeah. in, in the best possible way. Uh, yeah, again. In terms, of, in, in terms of subject matter, it covers, I think, aspects, especially aspects of relationships that we tend not to think about. Um, so obviously the whole concept, like we said, of like compromise and that kind of stuff. But also with the whole um do not disturb like the idea that you just need a bit of time to yourself like with your phone on do not disturb or whatever like just to kind of do what you're what you're doing like i mean i know like i've i'm quite a bad person on my phone but i did go for a period where i would just like put my phone on do not disturb for like a month just because i found it was so much easier to focus on whatever i was doing um and that song actually like tells that kind of emotion that feeling quite well and like good company for example that whole song is basically about the idea of look i don't just want like anything crazy i just want i'm happy in myself i'm not one of the lyrics is like i'm not lonely um like i'm not lonely i, I just want good company it's like the idea of like not everyone need like this concept of needing people is something that we're kind of drilled into us semi by society when in fact that's nowhere near the reality um and in fact just kind of having a partner or a person around that you get on with is the simplicity of most relationships. Yeah. I think she has a very eloquent way of expanding on what are essentially quite small individual feelings and emotions, which and turning them into these songs uh, rather than having to have a big picture, political, social, whatever picture to write a song, she can take it and uh, pinpoint certain areas of her life and from relationships, which she can expand on into um, these songs, which ultimately are 
you know, I, I don't, don't want to put it in the pop category because it is so much more than that, but it, there are hooks on this. It's not like you're not going to be singing or dancing along to this album by any means. You know, you're, that's what you're going to be doing when you listen to it. It's up, it's got a nice beat to it. It's got hooks and melodies in there. Um, and she's done that by expanding these small ideas from relationships and really digging deep into uh, wh- how to write and how to um, visualize and create imagery around that, these scenarios. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I will be honest, I'd, I'd not even heard, I'd heard, I think I'd heard, um, I wish I missed my ex, but I would have yeah. had no idea. That, that, that would have been a radio or a club yeah. thing where I, I've heard, I heard recognize the hook in that one as well. I'd heard, like, rec- I'd heard the name Mahalia, but again, never even bothered to really listen to her. Not, yeah. it's not typically where I venture, but yeah, right. really good. Go and listen. I would just recommend go and listen. Yeah. Um, I mean, oh, oh, I mean, if you're going to take sort of one of the albums we've done before, something like, if you like Frank Ocean, go and listen to this, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is very much personal preference, but I prefer this to channel orange. I think that's purely because of the, um, more R&B style, um, soulful production style, which is more leans into my sort of yeah, pace. Yeah, basically almost. Yeah, um, but yeah, this is yeah a really really good really good album, but a terrible suggestion. Yeah, we'll go with that. Um, I think that is quite a good wrap on that album. We've kind of <laughs> we've glowed it with praise. So um, I think now is time to move to the business end of the podcast. Yes. So here we are, the business end of the podcast. So this is where we do the process of selecting which albums Amos and I will be taking into our as yet metaphorical bunker um, and which albums we will be leaving very much behind and allowing to be wasted in whatever apocalypse comes. be it the second wave of coronavirus or be it zombies, whatever it happens to be. Uh, And we also save a song each from every album. Um, So we put that together. It goes onto a playlist called Songs To Be Saved, which is available on Spotify. If you just search, you can find it pretty quickly. I'm pretty sure it'll be the only playlist called that. There's um, a couple there's also similar, a link but yeah, there's a link, link to nothing. And if you search albums for the apocalypse, you can find it as well. There's a link to it from our Instagram. Um, and that's a really good way of kind of listening through really briefly, just kind of what we've listened to. There's such a huge variety of music on there as well. So if you want to maybe just try and listen to something new or something different, um, it could be quite fun to go through and just kind of hear something a little bit out there. Um, we've covered such a massive variety now at this point, eight episodes in, um, 24 albums. So there's so much on there that you could kind of listen to and get an idea of. Um, and yeah, I think it's always, I personally find it always fun to hear new music and I recommend if you're, if you've kind of only just started listening or you've missed a few episodes or something, go back, give it a listen and see what you think. Um, so without further ado it is the saving time we're going to start with pantera vulgar display of power amos will you be saving this album this is a really hard one so as i kind of mentioned pantera have this run of four albums in the 90s which is the best you know the best run of metal albums in the 90s probably the best metal band of the 90s but then as i also mentioned this isn't my favorite pantera album this doesn't have my favorite Pantera song on it. Uh, so my favorite Pantera album is Far Beyond Driven, their most commercial, commercially successful one. 
And I think my favorite Pantera song is Suicide, Suicide Note Part 2, which is on the Great Southern Trend Kill, so not this album as well. Um, in fact, I'd probably put this as my third favorite Pantera album. It's a tough one because the reason I still listen to Pantera, I love Pantera. They're hugely influential on sort of the riffing style I like. And we mentioned it with Nickelback in terms of their influence in rock music as well as metal. However, personally, it's hard to say yes to this album because, like I said, it's not my favorite. It's more the reason I picked it was more because of the critical success. I think that we should save a Pantera album at some point. My my decision is whether it's going to be this album. So I'm going to do kind of what you did and sort of hand over to you on that sense because I'm very torn because I could I would save every okay. Pantera I would yeah. save every Pantera album, but I think it's not my favorite, which is a tough part. Putting in my hands, I am going to say no because if it's not your favorite then, I mean, I'm not massively into metal anyway, or heavier stuff. So, as much as I didn't mind it a lot, I didn't love it. So, I'm going to say no. Um, I think, yeah, I, th I mean, I think I just, we've already got a couple metal things in there now. Um, a couple of heavier things. So, I think I'm going to say no on this one. Up next, we're going to be saving songs. So I'm going to let you pick first. I'm worried you might pick the same one, but we'll see. Oh, no, I was really hoping you pick first because there's a song from this album that has to be saved. Okay, well, I'll, I'll pick it then. I've already got that one down. Is it the big one? Yeah, Walk. Yeah, uh, yeah okay, that's fine. Okay, yeah. I'm saving Walk. There you go, that's that done. Yeah. Amos, you can save whatever you want. So, so, yeah, because essentially that's like the, the metal anthem. Like I said, it's up there with the Enter Sandmans, etc. in terms of what it is. So I'm going to go for, I think... It, was the song before Walk, um, A New Level. Um, I just love the riff and the way, I know we kind of dismissed Phil Anselmo a lot, because, I mean, a lot because of his racism, but also his vocals not being too prominent, but there's a bit in it, the way he screams A New Level and stuff, post sort of the riff, and then it hits into that bridge from Dying Bag is so aggressive as well. <laughs> like it makes me want to just, I mean, I use this term a lot, but kick the shit out of things. It's definitely one of those songs. Um, yeah, so I, I think, it's a good little one-two on that one. And both singles as well, I think. So. Okay, nice. So now is the turn of Nickelback. All the right reasons. Will it be saved? I, so this is a hard one because I've, we've said how much we do like listening to Nickelback, but Nickelback are a singles band for me very much so. Like this album is good and it's fun to listen to, but as like an album that's worth taking up space on the shelf. It's hard to fight in that corner, particularly when you look at some of the criticisms when, and especially considering we're saving two songs from it. Yeah. Um, um, I am a kind of a similar mindset. I think, uh, I think kind of the other thing with this album is when there's only really for me, like, two or three songs I actually really, really like on it and the rest of it is just kind of a mess of shit. Um, it's hard to justify saving it based on just those songs. Yeah, there's no... I don't think there's any bad song as such on this record, but there's, no. No, there's, there's only a few great songs is probably a good yeah. way to put it. Yeah. yeah. So I think that sounds like we're not saving it. Okay, wow. Right. Not saving it. I know. Very guilty, apparently, this week. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I mean, I don't know. I just don't think, as much as it's got a semblance to me, I think it's more the individual songs that do. Well, yeah, it's the reason. So when I go back to listen to Nickelback, I listen to either the This Is Nickelback Spotify playlist or just straight from their Spotify. I don't tend to go back and listen to albums. I I could live without this one. If I was going to pick a song from my childhood, I guess A, I already picked Invaders Must Die and we saved it. And B, if I was going to pick another one, it would have been American Idiot Green Day. And I would always save that. Whereas this, I don't feel quite as inclined to do so. Um, I'm going to go into songs and I'm going to let you pick first. But I'm... I think I know what you're picking. I'm not picking that one, so don't worry. Okay, good. I'm going to go for to... the, the least title track of all title tracks in Fight for All the Wrong Reasons. Yeah, I, I just had a really good hook on it that just caught me. It's got some questionable lyrics, like all these songs do. Um, but yeah, I, I just really liked it, and it was quite a good. That also has good lyrics. Which is, it's hard for me to leave when you're going down on me. And then it's got. It didn't matter what they said because we were good in bed. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. If you wanted more evidence of why the lyrics on this album suck, um, I am going to pick Rockstar. And I have a little story behind it, which I've realised, I don't know if I've told you before. Uh, so basically, some people will know this, aside from my grade one in trumpet, I actually played the drums for about four years. Oh, you mentioned, you did mention this uh, on, what, on one, at one point, I think. Yeah. So I used to play the drums for about four years, had a drum kit in my room. Um, I used to really love it. And I, one of the first albums I played fully was... Uh, Kings of Leon's Only by the Night, which I still to this day think is a stunning album and I'm looking forward to getting on here at some point. Um, but one thing at our school, which is where I had lessons for a bit, was if you had lessons there, they would do this like show where everyone who had lessons at school had to like play in front of this, like, I guess family and friends and like teachers and stuff would come, including the headmaster. Uh, headmaster. And like, I was not sure really what I was going to do. I hadn't got into really doing a lot of music stuff then. This was the classic. I was learning to play the drums, but I wasn't learning to play stuff I enjoyed. I was learning to play songs I'd never heard of that were just like written for sheet music books. And it was absolute shite. And my my teacher wanted me to do um, grades. And I think that's because the school made him like, made us do grades. And I just didn't want to do grades. I I just wanted to learn to play songs that I liked. And so I kind of negotiated with him to let me do a song that wasn't from a stupid sheet music and so nobody would have heard of it. So I negotiated to play Rockstar. Um, And I mean, now looking back on it, A, it was so cringy because my drum teacher told me to wear sunglasses when I did it. (laughs) And I did. And so I'm there in front of this hall full of people wearing sunglasses and I won't lie, I think I did smash it playing Rockstar on the drums. And obviously it plays the whole track without drums. The back, yeah. Yeah, and it plays all the lyrics and everything. And I got pulled aside by the headmaster afterwards asking me why I picked that because it had so many references to drugs. <laughs> and then I ended up having to have a, like a, a meeting with the head of music to talk about it and like explain that like i didn't really realize i just wanted to play that song yeah, um, can we also point out this song was on a dfs advert yeah for like it was their it was their theme song for about four years i think rightfully so it's a stunning song 
and I'm glad I'm saving it. And I'm glad that I did it justice with my sunglasses on. And, and you know, I love the fact that this song got so much hate because it means it's not overplayed at all. So when you listen to it now, it's actually quite a nice little breath of fresh air, almost. It's not like radioactive. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't really want to go into Imagine Dragons. We will at some point on this yeah. podcast. Well, when we spoke about Bastille, so it'll be the exact same conversation. Yeah. Just with I'm it. warning you can see that come up be prepared for a massacre. Yeah. Um, right, last up, Mahalia, Love and Compromise, Amos, Saving. So if this was done for summer albums or debuts from the 2010s, then it would be a yes. But based on the, based on the theme, I don't think we can justify it because it means we're going to have to file it under guilty pleasures. No, wow. Because That's we're going to... Interesting point. Because we're going to have to file it under guilty pleasures, and I don't think it's a guilty pleasure at all. Like not even, not even like there's a, not even a saving thing. So it's gonna, it might have to be dismissed on a technicality here. You make a really good point. I agree. If this was under like summer albums, if this was bang like this week in the sun, it was amazing. Yeah. If we had this instead of Bastille, then <laughs> yeah, this would have been perfect. But you might be right. It's true, like, you can't have... I'd feel bad saving it under guilty pleasures. Like, I just, I can't, like... I don't know. It's, it's like giving Lord rock album of the year. Yeah, it is. Like they did at the MTV Awards back in when, 2013. You can't do that. They, they did it and they shouldn't have. I don't want to do an MTV. I think we've, you're probably right. We're going to have to dismiss it on a technicality. Um, I mean... So the reality is, disqualified. You, can't, you can't tell someone else what their guilty pleasure is. No, it's, it's all last left. We had to accept all um, suggestions, which I mean, there was only three. So, um, but like, you had to do that because I think sometimes there's a context to it that maybe we didn't understand, and neither of us had heard this album, so we didn't really know too much about it. Um, it could have been anything. But I'll, after the first listen, I just straight away had no idea how you would feel guilty yeah. about love. I mean, we, 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 we joked, we we joked about trying to find a smear campaign against her or something to... Yeah. We've just come on here and we are massively advocating people just, just please go and listen to this. Like, I don't really know how, how we can do that and call it a guilty pleasure. So I think you might be right. Um, so that's dismissal of technicality. So not a single album is going to be saved this week. And I, for one, am sad about that. Yeah, there's, there's heartbreak as we uh, let go of Mahalia just before the door. Yeah, that is why. But really, Sarah, you have yourself to blame. Yeah. So, Amos, save a song. Uh, I have two from this one, and I'm very torn. I think I know which one you're probably going to go for. Uh, I'm buying. Huh? But I don't. I yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it's not the one of the ones I've got written down, so which is why it's now a tough choice for me because in the last, literally the last two albums, I knew what you were going to pick, and it was my second choice, so I could have chosen. Um, you know what? I'm going to go for the hook, the the hook, the big one, the one that everyone's going to know. And I wish I missed my ex. I think. Right, good choice. So actually, it's not as straightforward as that. I think for me, it's close. I really like Good Company. Um, regular people's great. I remember there's a like there's a few songs though for me every time I listen to an album there's always a song that like it just clicks 
And as soon as you hear it first, you're like, oh, shit, okay, this is a good album. I really like this. And for me, that was Simmer for this. Um, so, I mean, maybe it was just because it was in the sun. The scenery for it was like, I think I first heard it, I was out going out for a run and like it was boiling hot. And it just does, it's just such a good summer song. Um, Burner Boy doesn't feature on many bad songs. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm going to be saving Simmer. You are right. Actually, I was just thinking that I feel a bit guilty about not saving it. So does that then make it a guilty pleasure? <laughs> no, we can't meta it. <laughs> I don't know. No, no. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to do an episode like <laughs> ages down the line. We can do <laughs> second chances. Second chances. Yeah. <laughs> be very after, after, after Sarah served her ban. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think that is everything in terms of saving. Um, well, not saving, almost. Well, yeah, in this case, not saving. Should we talk about what we have saved song-wise. Do you want to run through? Right, yes, I'll run through. So Jack went. Jack pretty much went for two anthems on his first. So he went for Walk, the metal anthem, and then he went for Rockstar from Nickelback, and then, I'm as you just heard, he went for Simmer from Mahalia, Love and Compromise. I went for a new level from Antera, the almost title track, uh, Fight for All the Wrong Reasons, from Nickelback's All the Right Reasons. And then I went for I Wish I Missed My Ex, the lead single for Mahalia's Love and Compromise. So I think that is that in terms of guilty pleasures. What should we talk about next week, Amos? So this one was you kind of just quickly popped up because you were binging all the Glastonbury things. I think it works quite well as a lead-in or a follow-up too, in that we're going to go for Glastonbury headliners. Um, I had a look through last night after you kind of popped that one as a suggestion. I think that's quite good. Um, and there's a, there's a Wikipedia page you just search list of Glastonbury headliners you can find it um, yeah. The Cure have headlined a god like ridiculous number of times yeah. um, and obviously there's all the famous ones like Kanye and Adele and stuff um, so yeah just just go through just chuck us all your bands that headlined uh, Glastonbury obviously there's not tons to pick from but the reality is, you name a big artist, they've probably headlined it. Yeah, um, and if, if you know, chuck you don't have to chuck their classic album in. You can chuck a different one in. So if it's Kanye, you can chuck. And, and something we will do as well, like, is I think it'd be interesting for us to talk about the sets. So obviously, right now we have the luxury that on iPlayer every set is available. So it's, they're all on YouTube as well, more or less. Yes. Yeah, so if, if you pick an album, we will also probably watch the set and talk about the set because next week is kind of going to be Glastonbury focused. Um, and we'll talk a bit because obviously it's 50th anniversary. Um, and so, yeah, I think it'll be quite an interesting one. Um, I know that obviously there's lots of people that are gutted. They either missed out on tickets or just couldn't go this year because of um, it not being on. Uh, so I think it will be quite interesting. And I'm really interested to see what people go for. Yeah, that. I've got I've got a couple because it's, there's a lot of so many bands have played Glastonbury, but actually like a few of them that have played it have never headlined it sort of thing. I've got a couple. Honestly, I have no idea. There are so many icons. Yeah, so there's, there's loads. I mean, I've gone off the basis of what I think will be suggested. Um, I've gone for a massive curveball in that one that people always forget headline. And I've gone for a very, very big artist that I think might not get suggested. Um, well, you could go dolly I, again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then after that is our, is our 10th episode. We yet to decide fully on that one, but that's going to be a very special episode. I think that will probably be our first episode we record in person as well, which yeah. is going to be okay. very, very, very good. Um, so get your suggestions in for this one and gear up and get your musical brains working for two weeks' time when we do our 10th episode as well. 
clarified when he says gear up, he doesn't mean consume drugs. He yeah. means like um, get ready for the episode. <laughs> yeah, we're not at, we're not at that level of stardom just yet, Jack. <laughs> not advocating um, drug misuse, despite our love of Rockstar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and my controversial playing it in the school hall in front of the headmaster. So I think that's I think that is that. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. We've talked about some serious things. We've talked about some silly things. And we look forward to talking about some on-stage things next week. So get your Glastonbury suggestions in, and we will speak to you very soon. Peace out.